and welcome to the Embodied Life Coaching Podcast with me, Louise Lewis. I am a mindset and body-based life coach specialising in helping people understand and resolve the deep-seated patterns that hold them back from having a life that looks and feels extraordinary. Through a series of solo episodes and conversations with guest experts, I will explore how incorporating bodywork, whether that be somatic-based exercises, biology and cellular health, or nervous system healing, is an essential addition to your personal development work. If you are familiar with therapy, coaching, or counseling, and feel like there's been a missing piece of the puzzle, keep listening, because the bodywork and nervous system pieces may be it. I can't wait to share these life-changing materials with you. It's time to live a full life from a place where you are deeply connected to your mind, body, and soul. Get ready. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Embodied Life Coaching Podcast. I am so happy to welcome Laura Lloyd with me today. Um, Laura is, it's an interesting one to have Laura on the podcast because I don't really know Laura very well other than the fact that we communicate a lot on LinkedIn, but so much of what she shared resonates. I think so much of what I've shared resonates with her as well. Um, that I just thought it would be really great to have her on to have a little bit of a conversation. Um, so Laura has her own podcast called High Food, I'm Home. And this is one of the things that really spoke to me. She talks about that thing of like, you go through your day at work and then you get in. And these are my words now, not hers, because this is how I used to see it. You inhale the kitchen, essentially. Um, and so she supports people with with that. So I'm really looking forward to having this conversation today. Laura, if you want to introduce yourself, it's like Bridget Jones, if you want to introduce yourself properly, <laughs> yeah, we'll know a little bit about you and what you do, and then we'll go from there. Oh, that was such a good introduction. So thank you so much, Louise, and thank you for having me on the podcast. It's, it's great. And it, isn't it amazing to me to discover and this is like a mind shift that I've just been through recently that social media actually has real people behind yes. it <laughs> yes it's not just the people sending the messages it's not same just thing. a game we're all playing there yes. are actual humans on social yes. media and we can actually meet each other and yes. actually connect and that that feels already uh really gratifying so I'm a stop overeating coach I was a binge eater as a teenager but now I work sometimes with binge eaters mm. sometimes with everyday overeaters common or garden overeaters of which I am also one I'm not yeah. a binge eater anymore um, but I do have a brain that still really believes that going and eating something is the best solution to most mm -hmm. things and I have to talk myself out of it multiple yeah. times a day and um and weight loss and weight loss because it's really um it's really paradigm shifting I think to try and bring weight loss into a journey of stopping overeating without it becoming the be all the end all the pressure but also just like could we have fun with this if we were a bit yeah. more experimental and find out how to find our body's healthy weight could we do that and it not be um a terrible dieting strict punishing thing or um something that we mustn't ever mention because it would just be too triggering. Can we be in the middle there? So that's kind of how I work. And I work almost exclusively with people who uh, can't stop overeating after work. Um, I can say so much more about that, but you'll have to stop me. Otherwise I'll just fill all of the space with. Yeah. Yeah. And that's perfect. Mm. So, so just to kind of chime in with some of my experience, I also overate as a teenager I grew up, so I'm one of three girls, I'm the oldest, and I was bigger than my sisters, and there were lots of rules at home about lots of different things, but I was allowed, sorry, I wasn't allowed to eat things that they were allowed to eat because I was bigger, and also there was quite a hierarchy of like, there would be special foods that my dad was allowed that 
we weren't allowed so it's like dad was allowed certain things and my sisters were allowed certain things and then whatever was left I was allowed and I think part of it part of it I overate because it was how I soothed myself but then there was also this part of me that was like fuck you telling me what I can and can't eat like I'm gonna do it anyway and so I that then resulted in a lot of secret eating Mm. there was overeating to feel better there was secret eating and then like you say this constant constant fixation and obsession with my weight and how I looked and what I was going to weigh and how I was going to lose weight and these like internal dialogues of like this Monday I'm going to be good (laughs) I'm going to not have any of the things and then it would completely go wrong and it was only when I went to university that I lost so I lost four stone when I went to university this is not the body that I grew up in um but it's been a real real journey so how long is it since I left university nearly 20 years a bit less 18 years something like that um and it's been a real journey again trying these different diets trying these restrictive things really deeply obsessing about food and exercise all day every day like me and my fitness pal I was thinking about it earlier I was like I used to weigh lettuce I weighed lettuce and then put it into my fitness pal like it was extreme and I was working with an online fitness coach that was like track your macros right but but all of this like thing to try and be healthy but it was actually very negative and so for me without going through the history of all of it once I realized why I was overeating, the actual overeating ceased to be such a problem. Yeah. All the time I was trying to find all of these different things, but the stuff underneath was still there. It was this constant battle. And so that's one of the things that I wanted to talk to, to get. I guess anything that you want to say about what I just said, obviously go for it. But then also for you why do you think people overeat really and why do they overeat when they get in from work yeah well you've opened that topic up beautifully I think Louise and that in the story you've told there really does echo um the way that I began to binge and I think that the whole weight area fixation especially for women is just can be a really big red herring in a way because it takes over and it's beautifully distracting isn't it from (laughs) like so we can actually use food to and the drama that we create in the food realm to completely distract us from our other emotional life and for me when I was binge eating my emotional life was hardcore striving wanting to pass my finals at university with flying colors in order and when I'm talking about striving I'm not just talking about working hard or having ambitions or aiming high I'm talking about trying to earn your self-worth trying to trying to get a result in order to get confidence but knowing that it's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that will always keep moving for you because I'd already accumulated so many A plus grades by that point if I was gonna if that was gonna make me confident it would have already right so I just had these huge self-expectations and I was my idea of the work that I should have been doing was absolutely crushing and was ill-suited to my strengths. Like I would tell myself, right, I'm going to go to the library this morning. I'm going to read a whole novel from start to finish, some historical novel that I'm supposed to annotate. I'd sit there for 45 minutes before I'd go down to the foyer and eat the packed lunch I'd made. It was just (laughs) like, so all of the eating was all in relation to how hard I was pushing myself. So, why do we overeat after work? So much of it is a response to how hard we are pushing ourselves, to how hard we are striving and bullying ourselves and are working with an attitude of 
sacrifice that then we feel like, well, now I need something for me. Now I need a reward or I'm so tired. I need something to get me through or um, I've done everything for everybody else. Now, please, can I have something for me? Netflix and snacks, please. Or I have held all of these responsibilities all day and upheld them. And now I need a place where I just drop all responsibilities, mm -hmm. including responsibility for me. I'm not even going to be responsible for myself. Rock and roll. Let's have a little party for one. Like, or, which was also the case for me because I was studying theatre and then went on to have, like, my first career was in, in theatre, which maybe we should talk about a little bit more in terms of body work because that was my main experience of that but like performance pressure how how it feels when you really like pull all of your performance out of your back pocket and just do your darndest whether that's on a presentation or a zoom call or in any other kind of performance and then the relief of when nobody's looking afterwards so all of these like I've named a whole bunch of emotions there and it's not one emotion, but what unifies them is how hard we push ourselves. Mm, yeah. And then the backlash from that. And I think that's where I think that's under talked about in the intuitive eating world. There's a lot of awareness of restriction and how that provokes a backlash of how reining ourselves in and trying to say, I'm not allowed this and I'm not allowed that is going to make us want things. But where's the conversation about how hard we push ourselves? Yeah. yeah. And how that gives us a sense of entitlement. Yeah. And the thing that popped up there for me, because obviously I do a lot of work with the nervous system, right? So when you're talking all of this stuff through to me and I'm thinking about how my clients are during the day as well, it's like we push ourselves into that slightly stressed, high sympathetic go get stuff done all day and a lot of the time we haven't got the energy for that so we're overriding where we want to be and we're pushing and we're pushing and we're pushing and so by the end of the day we've actually overwhelmed our nervous system with there's no actual energy or resources left so that high sympathetic we've got no choice but to then go down into a bit more of a low shutdown like low parasympathetic state um which I think also is then where the eating potentially comes in because you're right, so it's a lack of energy, but also, and I can say this because I've been there, it's almost like you're not, when you're properly overeating, it's like you aren't there anymore mm. because you've checked out because it's all become a bit much and you're kind of mindlessly going through it all and then it's, it's not quite this, but then all of a sudden you like you look around and you've, you know, surrounded by crumbs and wrappers. <laughs> it's like, oh. Mm. Because it's like we and it's like you're saying, like we push and push and push ourselves, and the body's like, I don't want to do all of this; it's too much. And then it's like, and now I'm so exhausted, but also there's just too much here, and it's too uncomfortable. Ah, yeah, that's absolutely right. And we don't allow for that transition, do we? We don't reset ourselves. We don't know how to reset reset ourselves. We're lacking those skills, and and a lot of the bullshit that my brain tells me when I'm in that tired state and I get home and I've crashed is also like oh this will give me energy mm. or this will perk me up but actually all that I'm really doing is going into a little focus bubble as you described where there's the only thing that exists in the world is my fingers lifting food to my mouth and the sensation like the the sharpening of focus on the sensation of eating to the exclusion of everything around me yeah. and how quietening that can be to your anxious brain and your overwhelmed brain that's having a thousand thoughts still about the shit that you haven't got done and how you should have done more and you're just able to just drop all the self-judgment for those minutes yeah. while you're consuming yeah massively massively comforting as well Right. I think and I think that's the thing with that that people sometimes it's so easy to beat ourselves up, but there's always a very good reason why we do any of the behaviours that we do. Oh god, yes. 
right? One of the things that I'm working on at the moment, actually, it's going quite well this time around. So because because I had the binge eating as a teenager, that also then became bulimia, and then there was lots of quite restrictive eating. So I, I wouldn't necessarily. I feel like my eating's pretty good now. I don't have a healthy backstory relationship with food in any way. It wasn't like the odd bit of overeating. Like it was, it was intense. Yeah. But one of the ways that I changed. So, so when that was no longer an option, overeating mm-hmm. was no longer an option. Cause I realized I like to be in a smaller body. Chewing gum became my friend. And like, when I think back now, about the amount of chewing gum I used to eat when I worked as a lawyer in the office. I mean, it must have just looked grim, like, all the time. Mm. But there's still been this, like, thing with chewing gum. So it's like chewing gum, for me, replaced the food. I mean, I still ate, but I mean, like, in terms of, like, that soothing thing, yeah, chewing gum became the thing. And then now it's, for me, it's like, well, no, my nervous system is now regulated. I'm in a place where I don't need to soothe with it. But And then it's that piece of breaking the habit. Mm. but I think with all of the stuff because we all have these coping mechanisms it's remembering the coping mechanism is there for a very very good reason and is often there from a pattern that we developed when we were very very little as a way to cope with stuff that was just a little bit too much for us at the time or a lot too much for us at the time depending on what it was yeah I mean we can be so kind to ourselves for finding some kind of survival in a in any given situation and food seemed like a good solution to something before it wasn't right um for all of us and it you know it doesn't really work we but you know it's we when we tell ourselves oh it's comforting we're only telling ourselves half the story because by the time you add in like the total result <laughs> like including all of the self-reproach and the detrimental effects of it as well. It's not comforting, but for those minutes, it's a little bit of relief. It's bought you some time that you needed to buy yourself somehow. I like um, uh, Stephen Pressfield's, um, in his book, I think it's in Turning Pro, he's talking about malingering he's talking about the um um how in the first world war people would shoot themselves in the foot so that they could go to hospital so they'd be like removed from action Mm. and um and i think sometimes overeating in terms of the nervous system in terms of me when i was studying at university during that binge eating time i would just eat until i had to go to bed for the whole afternoon and it would just be like, well, I'm just incapacitated myself now. So now I don't have to worry about trying to get myself to do the thing because I actually can't. Yes. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. and how that was just a sort of emergency exit from that difficult situation that I'd set up for myself. And I needed relief from it. But the relief I needed wasn't eating, obviously. I needed somebody to help me change my view of what success was. And I still goddamn do. <laughs> you said it before when you were like, that bloody pot of gold at the end of the rainbow keeps moving. I'm like, it keeps moving, doesn't it? Yeah. And now I'm like, do we just have to accept that maybe there isn't a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or decide it's already here. Yes, yes. And really yeah. see it yeah. already uh, in the riches that we have around us mm-hmm. instead of over there, over there, over there. Yeah, I'll be happy when. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a parent other than our little dog who is down there. Um, But I had a conversation recently with a lady who was, and she said, you know, there's times where she thought about if she could, you said about the malingering and shooting themselves in the foot, like if she could just have an illness that wasn't so bad that she would be really, really ill, but just bad enough that it maybe took her to hospital for a few days. So she could just have a few days out of like her life. And like, that's how a lot of people feel. And there's that as well, isn't there? There is that form of like, this is all just too hard. How do I escape? Yeah. How do I check out? And yeah. and and this is important to think about as well in terms of how we behave after work around food as well, is that we haven't always, like coming home is not always 
the nice experience in the day either right it might be relief from work yeah but you know I I have three girls so my coming home is full of arguments it's full of children who have been doing their best at school all day and are so relieved to see me that they can no longer try even to hold it together anymore it's full of the mess of people just throwing their stuff all over the floor it's full of my um my duties in terms of supper cooking and getting everybody through their homework and the bedtime and all of that so what I'm what I'm looking at isn't necessarily like oh now here's my relaxing evening and then maybe I've got some plan to like sit up with my laptop after they've gone to bed or to go on some coaching call or something and equally for a lot of my clients some people are lonely they're coming back to an empty house and not it's like staring down the barrel of some hours that they don't really know how to rest in and enjoy on their own or some people are coming back to a little break and more work because they didn't quite finish like I'm thinking of all of the teachers in my life for example coming back home yeah it's a cup of tea and then they've got all this planning and marking to do it's not always completely straightforward is it no, and I remember, Brent, so back in the day, back in my, like, deep denial days, when I thought that my life was perfect, my job was great, it was stressful, it was quite difficult, but all of my problems were really down to the fact that when I got home, my husband would often be tired and a little bit low. Right. But I was perfect, right? It was all his fault. But there was also that as well. It's like, I'm coming from a hard day at work, and then you're not exactly a joy to be around. I mean, that there were there's been many kind of sorry occasions as I'm like, oh, it was me. <laughs> um, yeah. But there's that as well, isn't there? You know, and and people don't talk about that very often either because we all present this like all of our marriages and our home lives are all perfect, but sometimes that also is a thing. Yeah. And you're right, you know. So some people will choose to reach for the booze, and some people will choose to go and spend hours down the gym and some people will choose to Netflix. Oh, I like your Netflix and snacks. Like, I'll combine the two. But most people who aren't quite ready to confront themselves with what's really going on go to something. Yeah. To take yeah. the edge off. Yeah. Yeah, we do. And And then we can buy lots and lots of habit change books about how to have the perfect evening routine or the perfect morning routine or we can try and like organize ourselves and take actions to try and change all these habits but not ever really address the fact that we are kind of success sick somehow well I say we I'm really talking about me like this is the pattern that I have lived and I'm 44 now and I'm kind of in this midlife transition thinking I don't really want to spend the rest of my life being thinking that my work is more important than the people who are trying to love me and are just kind of waiting in the wings for me to become fully present and fully available because I just would really like to be a success before I turn up and be loved so that I feel I'm ready yeah, so that you can deserve, so that you can earn, so that you can earn that worthiness to be loved. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I completely get that. And I think that's that's maybe a useful thing to to come on to next. And 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 then obviously we want to talk about how we we actually help people with this. But so for me, there was this ongoing battle of like all of the different things. It was only when I started to understand the actual pattern. So like for you, it's this success pattern. And for me, it was this deep down gap, void, really. That's how I described it. This gaping hole in my life that, sh- that in my will, I think, should have been filled with unconditional love. Not unconditional approval, but unconditional love and, like, you're a good person growing up that just wasn't there. And so this deep 
gap pain really of like I'm bad I, I was hard to love that's how I genuinely believe like my mum found it hard to love me ergo I'm hard to love I'm bad right mm-hmm. and this deep deep pain that I could then just see I I just try to make up for it in everything mm. be perfect do this you know I was like okay well what can I do as a job I'll be a doctor or a lawyer I don't want to be a doctor because I might kill people inadvertently so I'll I'll go and do law and then I'll do this and okay oh it seems to be bad that my body looks like this so I'll make my body look like this oh I'll get into bodybuilding oh my god my body shape is like it it's a bodybuilding I'll do this and I've just talked about weighing the letters and I'll make sure that I never say no to anybody and I will people please and I will be perfect and I will do all of these things to have it all in place and it was only when I start, which is why I do the work I do now, it was only when I started picking that stuff underneath of, well, what's really going on? What's really causing all of these patterns? That all of a sudden, the relationship with food became easier. And there was a pivotal moment. I'm going to share, you, you will understand this. It was Christmas 2020. So it wasn't that long ago. Christmas 2020, we'd sold our house in London. We were renting down in Somerset for six months before we moved over to the Cotswolds. And my husband, Nat, kind of panic bought Christmas presents. He's not a big present buyer, but he like panic bought Christmas presents. And one of the things that he got me was a kilogram bag of Skittles. Speaking of the rainbow, taste the rainbow, right? Wouldn't be my first choice of sweets, but like... His kilogram bag of Skittles. If he'd bought me those that kilogram bag of Skittles the Christmas before, I'd have been angry. I'd have panicked. I'd have found some way of giving the Skittles away mm-hmm. because I wouldn't have been able to trust having them in the house. Mm-hmm. And that was also the first Christmas that I bought in all the food that he liked and all the food that I liked, and it could just be there in the cupboard. And these Skittles, I mean, they didn't last forever, but like, I think I sort of finished them towards the end of January, the start of February, but I just had a few when I wanted them. I didn't eat the green ones or the yellow ones because I don't really like those ones. He had those. And it was just this complete shift of, I wasn't doing anything around food at that time, but it was this shift of, I'm starting to value myself. I'd also taken a step away from having so much contact with my parents at this point. And I was doing a lot of this deeper inner work. And all of a sudden, the food wasn't so scary anymore. And it wasn't in the cupboard and I wasn't touching it. And it wasn't in the cupboard and I was eating it all. It was just in the cupboard. And when I fancied a bit of it, I would have a bit of it. But like this went really deep. Like there would have been no bread in our house for years. Mm-hmm. No particular breakfast cereals. I could I could go I could go to town on certain breakfast cereals. Like all of that sort of stuff just would not be in the house. Whereas now, when I was thinking about this morning, like a variety of different mueslis in the kitchen that I would have been like, well, I can't have that because I'll sit and pick out all the nuts and I'll pick out all the dates and <laughs> all of this. People eat people are listening to this, they're either like, if she's insane or oh yeah, I totally get it. No, no, honestly, every time every time I mention that I've misbehaved with granola yes I, exactly. I get a whole bunch of people putting their hands up saying it's the bowl of cereal exactly right so like and, and I would that, that stuff just would not have been allowed in the house mm-hmm. um and that's now, amazing that yeah. you were able to just kind of um ease all of that up loosen it up mm-hmm. wiggle it all loose before without having to kind of um manage it into the place where you wanted it to be that simply thinking highly of yourself yeah thinking of your own worthiness Mm. trusting yourself was enough to and all of the other things that you were doing was enough to create that lovely ripple effect I guess that's kind of how I work but backwards Mm. A yeah. lot of the time. Yeah, and and but and but for me it was just amazing because it had been at this at that point. So what was I then? 34, 35. So I wouldn't really leave you only 21. So what 12, 13 years of like really battling with stuff. Um to then like just taking the reins off a little bit but it was it was it completely the internal shift then created the outer shift Mm. and 
but and at this point though I had you know every bit of knowledge under the sun about food and nutrition and all the rest of it so I knew how to eat it was just it wasn't quite so restrictive anymore um but I don't want it to sound to people like it was easy and I just flowed into it I don't think it does sound like that because doing the work that I did was bloody <laughs> Mm. to actually release some of that stuff and go through that pain of it all but when you're no longer trying to numb the pain because you've been present to the emotions and the feelings there's nothing left to numb Mm -hmm. you've actually healed the pattern that you've been with the the cycle um yeah and I think that sometimes this is why it's really helpful to have life coaching skills alongside eating psychology coaching Mm -hmm. skills as well is that I think that the weight loss industry is so focused on what's on your plate Mm -hmm. but even overly focused on the food as being the locus of the problem when actually sometimes you need to like just de-triggerize the rest of your life somewhat so that so that you're not turning so often to the food and then all you're left with is a hollow habit in a way then you're just left with the the fact that you've repeatedly done those behaviors Mm. um that's really interesting sometimes clients have 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 had that amazing shift i've worked with binge eaters who once they stop trying to um, should on themselves so vigorously, just completely feel no urge to binge. I think for a lot of people, it's a more gradual process. And I, yeah. but I also think that, and here's something that I also think is a little bit wrong with how we're approaching solving eating problems is that we imagine that one person's pathway would be the same as another. So we're looking for one system that we can just buy into. And for most people, that's like one diet. Like, well, can I just get the proportions of the protein and the fats right? Everything else would be fine. All the calories right. But equally, if we were just to say, we've all got a unique relationship with food, like really a a fingerprint relationship with food based on our history, based on how we've used it in the past, based on all of the associations and sentiments that we've got. And we really embrace the fact that each person has a journey. Then we'd have to accept that they have to be the authority on what will heal them. And I feel like that's really important to give that back, especially to women, even though there's lots of men who suffer with this too. And and I do work with men as well as women, but to give the authority back and not say it's one size fits all, right? Not say like, oh, you know, my bra is the best bra. You should wear my bra. Because <laughs> you would be like, no, like clearly I have different boobs than you. It's not, <laughs> it yeah, won't fit. Yeah. And really just let go of this idea that there is one magic way of eating that's perfect for every person, every time of life, every person's different emotional reactivity, every person's different lifestyle, their schedule. And like the person who is working shifts at night is going to need a different way of approaching their eating to the person who's in their 60s. Yeah you know, has a different level of mobility, all of the rest of it. We've just yeah. got to be much more individual and empower each individual to make the choices yeah. that they know. And you said yourself, like, I had all the nutritional knowledge by this point. Yeah. And I really think most of us have accumulated enough knowledge of what works for us yeah. that we could pick and choose from our past experience but most of the time we're not because we're too busy feeling like a failure for not having made somebody else's system work so we're not really going like oh yeah from that experience I'll take this gem forward and leave the rest 
we're not taking anything we're just thinking i was broken because i couldn't manage yeah, it and i couldn't get this right which which a lot of the time is a bit of a challenge with the personal industry generally it's like well no because if you follow this formula for insert your desired result here then then you'll get the result and if you don't then you're obviously doing it wrong it's like, well no actually and i think and again just for full transparency it's not that i don't ever overeat now or i don't ever like go in and made the cupboards a little bit but I think the difference is if I do it I catch myself I might notice I'm doing it so like my husband's dad died in February it was sort of a difficult few months there were times where I'm like I'm over like we ate a lot of the Christmas chocolate before Christmas his dad came was staying with us for a week it was a hard week you know we and we were both yeah. aware that we would like we weren't going crazy but we were having more I think the difference is so we kind of talked about it before, but a lot of the times when we overeat, we feel shit, so we overeat, and then we feel shit that we've overeaten. Yes. So it's this vicious, vicious cycle, right? Whereas I think where I'm at now is I can have that compassion for myself of, I've just overeaten, and that's fine, and I know why, and there was a good reason for it, and it isn't, well, I've just eaten those. So, like, my favourite Christmas things are Florentines. Well, I've just eaten two of the Florentines from the pack of eight. So that's it now. I might as well eat the other six. It's like, well, no. Like, the other six can just stay in there. And that's different. And I think that's because there isn't that internal dialogue that's like, well, you've just failed now. You're useless. You're worthless. You might as well just go and eat all of the rest of it. It's like, well. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I think that's bit that thought that I can course correct at any time and I can stop at any time. I've caught myself, um, you know, going to the cooking cupboard and having like um, dark chocolate chips mm. out of the baking cupboard and I'd have a couple when nobody was in the kitchen and have a couple more and then suddenly found that I just emptied the entire packet into my mouth and just had a whole packet of chocolate chips in my mouth and then just thought, you know what? I can stop at any time and just like just emptied them out into my hand these wet chocolate chips and thought oh, I just really didn't want to go all the way with that yeah. and and that for me is a victory it's not yeah, we're not trying to become somebody who's never tempted necessarily but just somebody who can course correct quickly and who doesn't self-punish yeah. for mistakes and who's able to have a very learning and curiosity led approach to yeah. overeats. And I think that's how you gradually massage them out of your life instead of going on a regime where you clamp down. And when you do that, you deny yourself all of the learning, really, because all you've done is been good and stuck to a rule instead of really understood what happened. And in order to understand what happens when we overeat, we have to allow ourselves to make the mistakes because mostly yeah. we can only see it with hindsight. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that's just the sad fact of it. Like we can't, we can't, if we do it perfectly, we can't learn our way out of it basically. Yeah. And that's where coaching, the coaching relationship can really support you because often when you feel like you've messed up, you start Googling something else because you, you want a quicker, less, yes, you want to get away from the self-judgment yes. instead of having somebody say, no, this, your journey to healing goes through the self-judgment yeah. to the town of self-love and then onwards again and again and again. Yeah. And that's yeah. a kind of myth of the idea of self-love that it, that we could import it all in and it feel all lovely, but actually it's actually a kind of a meeting of self-rejection again and again and then actually choosing to give yourself some grace. Yeah. And one of the best things, and, and the thing as well you talked about before, a lot of it is punishment, isn't it? Do these rules, follow this thing, beat yourself up, punish, punish, punish. And one of the biggest shifts for me was, I can't remember, it might have been 2021. I, I haven't done it this year, but like I, I went through a couple of years of having a word of the year. Uh huh. I think 2021, my word of the year was nourish. And that was really powerful. So rather than, because a lot, because I think my default was punish, but it was like, how can I nourish myself in all the ways? Like not just food, but like, is this nourishing? Is this a nourishing choice? Like, is this going to give me something 
beneficial. And that, again, really, really helpful because you're right, like whichever path you take of this self-development journey, right, how, whichever route you go down, it is for me coming back to those things of, and it sounds so trite and there's not a better way of saying it, but it is back to like self-acceptance, self-approval, self-love, almost like that willingness. My first ever goal when I did my coach training was to be able to say, it's okay to be me and really mean it. Mm. And that's really the crux of it all. It's like, how do we peel back the layers of shite that other people, society and the things that have happened to us have piled on us that have made us think, I'm less than, I'm not good enough, I'm unworthy, I'm fill in the blank, to get to that place of, well, no, I'm all right, and I'm great, and I am worthy, and I deserve to be looked after. Because when we're looking after ourselves, yeah, we're not raiding the kitchen that much. No. No, then food doesn't have to be the enemy. Then it's something you give to yourself. Yeah, yeah. And so can weight loss also be something you give Absolutely. to yourself in yeah. that same spirit. Yeah. You can actually be enjoying giving yourself that health. I think when I was recovering from binge eating, I discovered a little phrase that I came back to again and again and again. I'd go yeah. swimming. I was living in Japan at the time, um, English teaching after university, and I found this little swimming pool and gym and the swimming pool was nice nobody really was ever there and there was always a bit of music and it was quite sort of spy had a nice little slight luxury vibe I just swim up and down and I think over and over again I really care about my body I, I really care about mm -hmm. my body and I and I remember really clearly like when I started swimming I, I wasn't doing that I was trying to count the lengths and there came a point where I just melted back down into like, I'm just going to say this over and over again for as long as I need to hear it. And even if I showed up feeling really disgruntled with my body shape, it still held true because I did care about my body enough to be cheesed off and bothered about it. But on a good day, that also meant and I'm giving myself this. So this is great. I think, though, that essentially all of those efforts to try and manage our eating and actually a lot of the culture around habit change as well can get a bit intellectual. And where we're trying to just use our intellect and our knowledge, and we've got so much knowledge about nutrition now in society widely available, um, and we're just trying to use all of our intellect, really, to to try and accelerate change that can only go as fast as your relationship with your body can go. Yeah, and there has to be an integration between the um, between the mind and the body. We are not just floating necks. And head. yeah, and the body is not supposed to be like this work of art that we get to like you know pick off a menu how it should look and shape it exactly I don't think that's how we're supposed to go no but so many of us have such complicated relationships with our body and we've chosen then to leave our bodies which is like by which I mean like we're just a bit dis disconnected from ourselves not mm. actually we've left um which again is like a lot of how I integrate the two because like how do we bring back into this harmony so I just want to check because I know we've gone over a little bit. Are you okay? Which yeah. Yeah, I'm fine. I have to I I have to hop off on the hour. No, that's perfect because what I would love for you to share is so you don't just you are not a traditional well you might do some of it but you aren't a traditional mindset coach. You help people. Um you also use hypnosis as part of your practice. So mm. I'd love for you like as we're wrapping up I would love for you to share a little bit about I guess the process that you take with people, you know, because it's all well and good us chatting through like why we overeat, but generally people who are going to listen to this are like, that's great, but I'd like to stop doing this so much. So yeah, yeah how do you help? Okay, so the, so a lot of my coaching is cognitive mm -hmm. and the kind of hypnotherapy that I do is cognitive behavioral hypnotherapy. Mm -hmm. And really... It's all about 
self-talk and I think that's where a lot of thought work gets quite stuck is like how to think new things and actually embody thinking new things how to believe in new things instead of just mm, finding our error in our thought I suppose and what hypnosis did for me when I was recovering from binge eating um when I was recovering from binge eating perhaps I should just just sort of say that I bought this product right this was magic I bought this product slim from within by David Brooks um and it had these hypnotherapy cassettes in it right and they were what I was listening to all of that time in Japan on a Sony Walkman on the bus on my way to teach English to places and on the train and that was my first experience of hypnotherapy and it was just like oh okay this is how it feels when somebody talks to you in a positive way when somebody encourages you and actually more than encourages like actually just tells you with absolute certainty that it's already taken care of that you're already on it because most of the time we feel like we've got to do something more but what if we're already working on it just by being curious just by paying attention so that's hypnotherapy is just a process very simple um of getting super relaxed and then rehearsing, thinking some new thoughts. But the power of it is really that when you do that, you suspend disbelief, willingly disp suspend disbelief. Like when you go to the theater and you see people acting and you're like, you don't sit there and say, oh no, they're just acting, it's not real. Because you wouldn't enjoy it. You just let yourself get into it with hypnosis you do the same you do it's your skill it's your ability to suspend your disbelief and just feel it with your body as if it were real feeling it is so different from just thinking about it the body responds we know that the body responds without hypnosis just a suggestion they know that they've tested like if people just stand in a row and then somebody walks along the row and says, you're falling forward, you're falling forward, falling forward, everybody starts to lean. Like literally everybody responds to suggestions. Some lean backwards, some Hope lean forward, yeah. but almost everybody responds mm. to the suggestion, either to compensate for it or to go with it. So our bodies go with our minds they just go where their mind goes and hypnosis is trying to give your body that little bit of practice in feeling it as if it were real as if it were already possible without whilst the part of you that's you know somebody's described it as being like the bouncer on the door of the nightclub has fallen asleep for a minute who is not going to say no no you that's not possible no you can't possibly do that and for weight loss this is really important because we've got this history of failures most of us we've tried a thousand things we've got this history of failures we've probably regained weight along the way and we've got a thought of like well yeah, I could try this. Yeah, probably won't work because it didn't before. And I won't even tell my husband he's trying it because he's just going to mm. laugh at me again or roll his eyes. And, you know, all of this stuff stacking up, that would be like the bouncer on the door. What we want to do with hypnosis is just kind of relax and pretend. <laughs> pretend that none of that really mattered. And what would it be like if it were possible? And I think that that's the power of it really is giving your giving your brain some rehearsal and your body some rehearsal of how it feels for change to already have happened. And then what was being said to me on those cassettes almost is true. It is already happening because you're, it's already happened in your imagination. So there's already a pathway for it. Yeah. And all you have to do then is guide yourself in that direction when the time comes.
and it's not effortless it's not like a magic wand doesn't mean that you then um never have to do any thought work or never have to make any decisions i think there's still some real nitty-gritty work to be done in a journal about like what was i actually telling myself right before i green lighted eating that but then when we discover what we would like to do instead it's a really good way of rehearsing that yeah brilliant so you're ba it's basically allowing you to create those new neural pathways with less resistance i guess mm -hmm. and you're right so when i used to do lots of work with people around um like visualizing where you want to be in the future it's the same thing like our brain can't tell the difference between something you visualize and something you've experienced so it's just like how do we make how do we make the journey as easy as possible and as efficient yes. as possible yeah yes that's yeah. right that's right yeah. and a lot of visualization and meditation does contain suggestion and therefore you could argue that that was already hypnosis yeah. you know it's and that that it's it's already a part of the same process of learning something yeah. learning something new learning to make new decisions around food that's kind of what the process really involves so as we are one minute to the hour can you tell people who are listening slash watching where they can find you if they would like to find out more yeah well you've already mentioned my podcast high food i'm home that's on apple and spotify so go check that out and you'll hear a lot of me talking vulnerably about my overeating life as well as coaching because I'm a real believer I think that we don't want coaches to be all shiny and polished up over there no. <laughs> we we I want you to know what that we're on a journey too and, and this is what it's like to be on a journey so come and join me in high food I'm home and then if you'd like to come and maybe try some of what I do you could come to lauralloyd.co, that's not .com, but .co yeah. forward slash gift. And there's a stop after work overeating roadmap where we kind of take apart. I coach you in 20 minute video and you get a workbook and you work through like, okay, what is all of this after work overeating? In fact, it's probably not one thing. It's probably lots of little overeatings. What are they and which ones are emotional and which ones don't I even know what they are yet? And you can start to break it down a little bit for yourself so that you can decide where to begin your journey. So that's at lauralloyd.co forward slash gift. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for being here for another episode. And I will see you next week. Thank you yeah. for having me. What oh, my honor. pleasure, Laura. Thank you so much. It's been great.